get a spy cam, infiltrate, um, you know, and I just have to win their confidence. Uh, and not in a, a weird way, because I, I am genuine. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just have to, you know, we have, I, I need to get testimonial letters from people that didn't want to be on the show, like the husband and wife uh, uh, accordion duo that I found at a farmer's market. They were very, they almost left before the show started, because they were just like, they just saw like younger people coming in and they're just like, what's going on? Would you, would you describe it as a bit of a, a cult thing? I mean, we're ruining yeah. it now with the huge mass media influence uh-huh. of CITR <laughs> and Discorder. But it seems to be like something that is is genuinely loved because it's quirky and because it's not. Right. It's, people are looking to be surprised. Yeah, I, I don't mind that word at all. People throw it around. And uh, I like things that are considered culty. I think it's just a way of saying not very many people know about it, but the people who do really like it. Yeah, and are kind so, of obsessed with it and are kind of weirdos a little bit. Maybe. Um, no, <laughs> no, man, I've, the people, joking. the people that I've, I've met that, that mm-hmm. come all the time, they're wicked people. They're mm-hmm. a lot like me. Oh, that's, <laughs> I don't mean I'm wicked, but oh, it's that's me. how <laughs> I define, that's how I define weirdo. Actually, <laughs> I love weirdos. I, w- I wish I were weirder. I hope I get weirder every day for the rest of my well, life. In that way. Yes. They're all weirdos. Okay. Excellent. Well, on that note, um, thank you very much much for joining us uh today paul anthony and as well as uh james ryan chris and david carr who you can see uh on sunday and you can check out paul anthony's talent time fifth anniversary february 6th at the biltmore and then stay around for the tlc dance party where a bunch of people in colored clothing will be dancing to techno what's up can i just say if you want to see clips you want to see more of course uh talenttime.tv is the website and there's some stuff from the tv show up there and stuff like that absolutely please do and check it out on shaw and then get all revved up for the fifth anniversary Next up, we have Sarah Lapsley, who is going to be doing her own arts fill-in and letting us know the things that she thinks are great in arts tonight. Oh, cool. Have a great night. Bye. I'm Peter Mansbridge, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. What's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca.
Hi, you're listening to The Arts Project on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host for today, Sarah Lapsley. Yay! For the next half hour, we'll be talking about Neil Wedman's current exhibition, which is called Selected Monochromatic Works and Paintings on Paper, Part 2 of 2, at the Charles H. Scott Gallery. We'll also talk about the Vancouver Opera's upcoming production of The Magic Flute, and I'll let you know about some interesting events happening around town. We've got some great music to go with it, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We've uh, Wow, it's great to be back in the studio. So this is the Arts Project, formerly known as Arts Extra, and it's a half-hour slot every week after the regular arts report where people can do you know different events or an event more in depth so I'm glad to have the opportunity to come back I just met this guy out in the hallway his name is Philippe Rekowek and he's doing a fill-in slot at 10 30 a.m this Friday on CITR and uh, his show is called Flipping This Wreck and he managed to get an interview with the heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield who, if you remember, got his ear bitten off by Mike Tyson. So he went down to the Georgia Hotel and interviewed Evander Holyfield as part of an anti-bullying campaign. So I thought that was interesting, thought I'd mention it so you can tune into that. So let's get into it. Tomorrow evening, January 31st, there's an opening reception for the show Intersections. And it's being held at this venue called the Chinatown Experiment at 434 Columbia. Um, and that's from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. So Intersections is actually a work of public art, which will be installed the next day at Canada Line's Platform Gallery, located underground at the Waterfront Station. So in other words, if you're waiting for the Waterfront Skytrain, you can see this art show. So they commissioned seven Vancouver-based graphic designers to make a poster about a specific Vancouver intersection. So those are Fraser and Kingway, Kingsway, Maine and Hastings, Southeast Marine and Knight, Davy and Denman, Water and Carroll, Fourth and Vine, and Broadway and Granville. And they say everyone has experienced these intersections in some way. So of course they're referencing this idea of famous intersections that you know have cultural significance like Hollywood and Vine where they have the walk of fame or stars or handprints. Um, Portage and Maine in Winnipeg, and I'd never heard of this before yesterday, but Portage and Maine has its own Wikipedia page, and it's supposed to be the coldest and windiest intersection in Canada. And of course, hate and Ashbury, so all you have to do is say that, and we just know it's like the Grateful Dead and hippie things. The Vancouver intersections in this show are considerably less inspiring. Most of them kind of only bring to mind like the nearby retail outlets. Um, except for Maine and Hastings. So, you know, it's a vibrant corner, really one of the only historical neighborhoods intact in the city. Um, but it's dark and it's dangerous and it's sort of this, you know, vortex of walking wounded people. And also I was curious about... Um, Southeast Marine and Knight Street like I can't think of a more bleak intersection devoid of human life than that oh thank you Megan just turned me up <laughs> um, like I don't I just can't think of anything remotely interesting about it but um, I'm sure they'll think of something 
So putting this together made me think of um, the intersection 53rd and 3rd in New York City, which became the subject of a Ramones song, and then it was covered by Metallica, and I think someone named their indie rock label after it. But it's where Dee Dee used to quote, unquote, hustle. I guess that means, like, turning tricks. I don't know. So in homage to the show Intersections, which will be at the Platform Gallery at the Waterfront Station, here is 53rd and 3rd by the Ramones for all you Ramones fans out there. Here we go. to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. Okay, thanks. That was 53rd and 3rd by the Ramones. This is Sarah Lapsley, and you're listening to The Arts Project on CITR 101.9 FM. So I went to see Neil Wedman's show on Sunday at the Charles H. Scott Gallery, um, and I really loved it. Of course, there were 24 drawings and three large paintings and 12 of these newspaper drawings. 
So Neil grew up with the Vancouver School as sort of his social contemporaries, but they're more associated with photography and conceptual art. And Neil's primary medium is drawing and painting, so he doesn't quite fall into that camp. Um, but he's incredibly skilled and talented in drawing and painting. And it's the kind of craftsmanship that seems to have gotten lost, you know, as we move towards like, you know, flashy ideas and things like that. Neil is sort of from a different era. He just exudes, you know, the 1940s sort of. He's like a really class act, like a gentleman. He's always gracious. He's always in these perfectly pressed clothes, kind of like the things like Frank Sinatra would wear. Certainly being in his apartment is like stepping back in time. There's like doilies. And um, Neil isn't a phone person, so I did an interview at his place where we talked about his show. And it's so monochromatic, so black and white and different shades of gray. There's no color in it at all. And he talked about how this particular show references some of his earlier works um, where he did tracings in black and white from sidewalk plaques using this art technique called frottage. I didn't have the heart to tell him what that means um, to forensic psychologists, but anyway. Um, the drawings, the 24 drawings, were done with like a fine charcoal on special paper, and he's really masterful at shading. And I was thinking, oh, they're kind of like Rorschach blots, where you could just, you know, put your own interpretation on them. They're sort of dark at the bottom and lighter at the top, suggesting kind of hills and the sky and these little white spaces that are kind of orbs. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, they're UFOs. Um, so I asked him about it, and I was relieved. I haven't gone over the deep end because they were intended to be UFOs. Um, so here's Neil talking with me about his show, Selected Monochromatic Paintings and Works on Paper, part two of two. Part move towards doing something sort of emblematic like a flying saucer in the air uh, was a way of, of minimalizing if not eliminating narrative from mm -hmm. my paintings. Mm -hmm. Well you've, you've done that with the newspaper drawings because they look so realistic mm -hmm. when you stand back from them. Oh they're newspapers and, and you go up and you're expecting like what's in them this sense of expectation and then you get to them and it's like oh there's yeah. no words. Yeah, it's, it's just shading but it's done so artfully and precisely and yeah. there's no narrative like you said yes that's right exactly it's it's been bleached of all um coherent kind of legibility um and at the same time it's it is very very reliant as you say of being very very precise and detailed otherwise the effect won't work you mm -hmm. couldn't just wing it mm -hmm. you have to really put your back into it and, and, and get mm -hmm. all those lines exactly where they're supposed to go in fact they're completely measured from original newspaper mm -hmm. pages because the paper is quite rough uh, and I'm using a just a mix of, of India ink and water the um, brush sort of skips over the surface a little bit and mm -hmm. creates a sort of stippled effect which is again kind of pointillistic and also the resemblance of the newspaper in columns like that there's sort of uh, the horizontal lines uh, divided by vertical columns is exactly like the, the, the pictures and the, or the uh, texture of the chain uh, lines on the on the lay paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so they kind of made sense. Um, I liked your book as well, which came out as part of this show. 
Uh, no, it's earlier. Okay. It's uh, just that there's not very much. Uh, I don't have any publications, so that they they ordered a bunch of those <laughs> burlesque. Okay. But it came out in 1999. Okay, so it's, it's black and white too, yeah. but it's. You said that's coincidental that it's black and white. Yeah, it's black and white out of necessity, I think. Um, the the project was uh, based around finding um, cartoons, um, like kind of New Yorker style, but maybe a little low, more lowbrow than that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, stag party, men's magazines, and general interest magazines, where you have a, a, a single panel, single speaker, single line of dialogue underneath. It's the joke, and so um, I've done a whole bunch of drawings of uh, those, but rendering them in as realistic of mm -hmm. terms, not not so caricaturish, uh, at least not so broadly caricaturish as the originals, and then taking away the jokes, so that you, that you just have the visual situation, mm -hmm. and it worked out pretty good. It, 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 it uh, Michael Turner, uh, who did the uh, the, uh, the published on his imprint. Um, uh, advanced editions with Arsenal Pulp Press. Uh, he suggested we do it as a novel. Now, it doesn't completely work as a novel, but it does have sequencing in it that, that is similar. And again, it's it's this idea, this sort of ambivalent relationship towards narrative, where, mm -hmm. where, where you, it's it's a book, it's a novel, ostensibly, and at the same time, it uh, it it uses narrative structure. The images are narrative, they repeat, and they, they kind of sequence in a certain way, um, but there's no real narrative. In mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I like what David says here about, you know, it's it's saucy, and it brings him back to his boyhood of, you know, flipping the thing, yeah. oh, there's breasts, uh, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. naked women. Yeah, no, it's very, you know, I was trying to think, what period does this evoke in terms of, like, the late 40s or early 50s? Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of cartooning it is, historically, started in about 1925. Okay. It's the New Yorker style. When New Yorker started publishing in 1925, they kind of modernized what in earlier days would have been like, you might have a joke where there's a couple of tramps sitting there's a single panel, but there's like an exchange, a dialogue or exchange back and forth. That, uh, in New Yorker style, they'd get a, a particular image, and there would be a kind of wisecrack or comment, or you know, sort of droll or some sort of droll comment underneath that would pertain to the single image. There was never a dialogue exchange. So, so they um, that started in 1925. The drawings in there, I'd say they're sort of 40s and 50s mm -hmm. style. I, that'd be the height of it when when the, when the uh, explosion of the um, of the uh, Kind of general interest magazine uh, occurred uh, after the war. Uh, I would think that that's probably where uh, most of the original source material came from. Um, and I was also trying to reference um, uh, social American social realist cartooning, or at least drawing or painting, and 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 uh, and trying to turn it into something that maybe was a, like a a cartoon. It's kind of a complicated relationship, but it, but uh, many many um, American painters who did you know street scenes and so forth, uh, uh, and like John Sloan, for example, Edward Hopper, um, Clackens, uh, they they would do. They also worked as newspapermen or did illustrations for newspapers, and uh, and uh, not always captioned cartoons, not always funny, but they would they were illustrators and and uh, and they. Uh, 
So their relationship to the world was through print media, and and they they eventually struggled and succeeded in in using that that uh, occupation to portray American life. This week on the Arts Report, film, theater, dance, books, visual art, and more. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., CITR art director Megan Thomas and the Arts Reporters explore what's fun, fascinating, campy, or critical in the Vancouver art scene. You can find bonus content on our Mixcloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Got an idea for a review, interview, or original production? Email arts at citr.ca. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. or anytime on citr.ca. Hi, we're back. So that was my interview with Neil Wedman. And um, we're running out of time. Like, So I have to skip a few things, but I want to talk about Mozart's The Magic Flute coming up at the Vancouver Opera. So the Magic Flute was first performed on September 30th, 1791. It was Mozart's second to last major work. His last one was the Requiem. So the opera plot sort of occurs on multiple layers. So it's got this sort of common appeal that's like romance and comedy. It's also a political statement about sort of the pull between the Catholic Church and the Enlightenment ideals. And also it had this Masonic content um, that's sort of interesting and so um the guy that wrote faust as of this morning i was referring to him as goate but i listened to a little youtube video which is <laughs> goethe you already knew that how I, to say I it um but he said it is enough that the crowd would find pleasure in seeing the spectacle at the same time its high significance will not escape the initiates so it's this idea of hiding things in plain sight um and the M masonic website i got the information from spoke of Mozart taking a risk and sort of putting this information out in the opera, even though it was sort of hidden. But it was written in what's considered the Masonic key of E-flat. Um, but the most interesting character in this opera to me is the Queen of the Night. So she sort of represents the raw passion and the ir irrationality and the feminine as kind of the body and the na nature in opposition to the enlightenment of ideals like equality between the classes and the sexes. Um, so I'm not intimately familiar with the plot on an esoteric level, but there's a couple and they must go through severe ordeals in order to be worthy of entering the temple of light, thus thwarting the sinister schemes of the queen of the night. So um, their union coincides with a flood of light that drives away the forces of the night. So in Western Hermetic tradition, this is sort of talking about the idea of the hieros gamos, or the union of the inner man and the woman. Young would call this the animus and the anima, or the marriage of the conscious and the conscious and the unconscious mind, leading to the culmination of the great work, or the forging of the higher self. So there's the secrets of the universe on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, so it's definitely we're seeing the Vancouver Opera production running March 9th through 17th. It seems like everyone always wants to put like a modern spin on things like mm -hmm. suddenly the characters are in leather pants and I don't really approve. I'm kind of a traditionalist, um, but the Vancouver Opera is recreating their 2007 production of The Magic Flute 
where they use like Coast Salish design and setting. So it'll be interesting. So the costumes and the characters and the masks will all be um, using those motifs of the animals um, and the different deities. So I'm curious to see how this will be done. Um, so the second aria by the Queen of the Night is one of the most famous in the world. It's certainly known to be the most difficult. Um, so one of my favorite films is Amadeus about Mozart's life. It's a bit cheesy, but there's this great scene in it where his shrewish mother-in-law is yelling at his wife. And as her, her mouth is kind of yapping shrilly, and he starts to, the wheels start turning his mind, and he starts to hear that, the color tear apart, and then it cuts in the film to the opera singer doing it. So I wanted to play a short segment of it for you now um, to give you an idea. So this is Natalie Desay as Queen of the Night. She's singing it at the opera, Paris Opera House. Okay, we're back. We just have like two minutes left. So I just wanted to tell you about Sad Sack by Night. That's on Saturday, February 2nd for Performance Works as part of the Push Festival. So the, it's curated by Vancouver artist Vanessa Kwan, and she would like you to find respite from the mopey rigor of the winter months in an evening dedicated to the expression of West Coast melancholy. So David Wisdom, my friend's doing a slideshow. He grew up around Pine and 16th in a house he, which he then inherited from his mother and then raised his own family there. Um, he's a nostalgic kind of guy. The house was like full of stuff. He'd lived there forever. So it was painful t to him. They decided to sell the house and move to the country to sort through everything and move to a new life. The house was sold to developers and torn down. So he's actually documented this all um, and put it together as a slideshow. So it's guaranteed to be poignant and amusing as always. He's just got perfect timing and plays the best music with it. Um, also, it's kind of an odd lineup. My worlds are colliding. Andrew Feldmar, who's like a nutty local psychologist, he studied with Artie Lang in the 60s. He's now running clinical trials using um, pure pharmaceutical grade MMDA imported from Switzerland with his clients who have trauma. I don't totally support it, but uh, anyways, he's a very interesting guy. And he's going to be having a creative conversation about My Melancholy Baby, so that popular song sung by Ella Fitzgerald and others. Maybe it's going to be like a beat thing. 
Um, for, further on the theme of melancholy is the musical act Hello Blue Roses. So that's a charming duo of Dan Behar from Destroyer and his long-term girlfriend, artist, and curator, Sydney Vermont. So Vanessa Kwan says about Hello Blue Roses, if aesthetics could be feelings and feelings could be intellect and intellect could be sensation, then that is what listening to Hello Blue Roses is like. So um, maybe so. So I want to play their song Shadows, but I'm out of time, so I have to say goodbye. And so I just wanted to say thanks for listening to CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Sarah Lapsley. Please tune in again next Wednesday at 5 for the Arts Report. Um, And here is Shadow Falls by Hello Blue Roses. And good night.